Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. I'm Luke Gein, president of Gein & Company CPA, and you're listening to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. So Luke, give us an overview of your team structure, um, both in the US and now with your global team. Sure, Nick. Uh, We have four CPAs, uh, so that's including me. And then we have a systems manager or an analyst that works with us. He's an MBA. Um, We have an administrator who does all kinds of different things for us, and we also have a practice manager. My practice manager is a PhD, so he can also do business consulting, but he does a lot of the sales work with me and manages the team and basically runs the show day to day. Um, So that's that's our onshore team. There's seven of us total. We've had times where we've had more, we've had less, of course, but that's where we are today, and that's where we want to stay for a while. Um, in terms of our offshore team, we started this process uh, late at the end of 2017, I think is when we kicked it off, or very beginning of 2018, hired our first person in late February. So we currently have four TOA staff members. Uh, so we're, we're fairly new to the process. Yeah, so I mean, you are new to the process, but um, you've jumped right in there with the the four team members. What was, uh, and I'll ask you more around the decision making um about why you went with four, what roles they're playing a bit later on, but a little bit more about your business. Do you have a niche that you deal with or are you a generalist accounting firm? I wouldn't describe us as a generalist because we don't just take on any client. Uh, We we certainly are, are, try to be careful who we take on and only want to take on clients that fit within our system. Um, In general, we work with service-based businesses, but we have a big niche in the medical and dental field. So almost anybody who's self-employed and is providing a professional service is somebody we would work with. Now, we certainly have income parameters for those folks. Uh, Starting starter businesses don't necessarily work with us anymore, although starting starter dental practices might want to work with us. in general, our niche is to focus on tax planning, which is something a lot of CPAs don't do. They say they do it, but they don't actually do it. But we start the engagement with a tax plan, uh, a substantial tax plan, so the client knows how much it's going to cost them, how much it's going to save them. And that tax plan becomes a blueprint that we work the engagement off of. And then we have a maintenance plan that we review with the client and, and you know, to, to go through the bookkeeping and the tax return prep and all the standardized stuff that needs to happen during the year, as well as maintaining the tax plan. Um, so uh, the ideal client for us is maybe a, a self-employed dentist um, who owns one office or multiple offices. Um, but we have software developers, any professional service provider you can think of, we probably have somebody. Yeah, excellent. So Luke, tell us a little bit about the story of setting up your offshore team. So what were your motivations behind this versus obviously the other priorities that you have in your firm? Yeah, there was there was a distinct motivation for us because as you know, as a business owner, there's a lot of different directions that you can run in and there's you know unlimited things that people tell you you should be focusing on or should be doing. But what we realized is that we were starting to hit the wall with our current engagements. And what I mean by that is uh, the effectiveness of our of our work and of our team, I, I didn't see it 
continuing to move forward. Um, we were experiencing a lot of client turnover, and we'd sign a, we'd sign up a client, tell them what the engagement would be, and it was kind of a six to eighteen month thing where they got bored with us, thought the service maybe maybe wasn't for them. It's not that that happened with every client, but it was happening too often. And as you know, or as people in the accounting world know, new clients take a lot more work than um, than steady run rate existing clients. So we were, felt like we were constantly in startup mode with clients. Um, at the same time, we also were in startup mode with staff. I was hiring CPAs. I was hiring staff accountants, trying to get the team that worked. And um, it just, it, it wasn't working. Uh, we had CPAs focusing on way too many things. Um, they ended up being the administrator, the bookkeeper, the tax preparer, the analyst, the business advisor, the tax advisor, you know, the financial consultant. I'm just listing various things that might happen. And they were kind of all things to the client. So for the client, they would get signed up and they would work with their CPA because I, I don't work directly with a lot of the clients. And anything with a number on it, they just email the CPA, call the CPA. So it was very, very difficult to find the right kind of staff that could handle that. I mean, certainly there are people who can, but it's tough. And I couldn't find enough of them for the amount that we were bringing on clients. So I, I could keep kind of keep going with that. Uh, did you have any questions on that before I keep going? <laughs> no, no. That, I mean, that's, uh, I mean, they're all, stand, I mean, they're all reasons that we typically hear from firms. And, um, you know, it's, I suppose, the wave of offshoring is really starting in the, in the US. I mean, typically we find um, from a cloud technology point of view and a lot of the trends, uh, the US does follow, funny enough, New Zealand and then Australia. And then the mm. US and the UK are following behind that. So it's mm. interesting um, to see that, you know, too many CPAs within firms are becoming, they're, they're just, they're wearing too many hats and doing too many things. Um, so what was the main driver around, I suppose, the urgency? What made you start to look at the offshoring journey, um, given that you are a really early adopter um, in the US for this type of um, strategy for a firm of your size? Well, I think I was looking at the staff I have, and I have some great staff in the U.S., and I was trying to think about what their career opportunities are and and really the position I was putting them in to succeed. And I was looking at whether or not I was having fun with the business anymore. Um, it, was, it was starting to get to be frustrating rather than something fun and interesting that we were doing. And I didn't get into the business and start it to be frustrated. I mean, I'm fine with some of that, but... Uh, if it's not fun and it's frustrating and I'm burning out staff, there's something wrong. And it, it didn't feel like it was sustainable anymore. So I got to the point where I thought I'm either going to, you know, as we continue to have staff problems and clients dropping in and out, I mean, we were still making more money each year than the prior year. We we're still growing. It wasn't that we were shrinking. But I thought I'm either going to shrink this business down, and I and I know a lot of accountants have had this fantasy, and, you know, keep my best clients, keep my best staff, just do the easy stuff, make, you know, plenty of money and not worry about it. And it's, there was that, or I'm going to put myself in a position where I can really scale the business. And when I heard about TOA and the outsourced accountants and, and realized that I could build a real team overseas, um, it, it gave me hope that, that this was, but it, it just, you know, a light bulb went on for me and I thought I'm going to do that. Um, so so tell us a little bit about that journey. So how did you go about getting set up, obviously, researching, finding um, us as a partner, the recruiting, the onboarding? How did you – so when the light bulb went off, how did you actually then put that into action? You know, I, I make decisions pretty quickly because I've, I spend a lot of time thinking about what the problem is. And so when I find the solution, I don't spend months, you know, trying to figure out if I'm going to do it or not. I just do it, uh, not not haphazardly or carelessly, but directly. So – 
in terms of the researching and things like that, I, I had a friend, I have a CPA in Florida who I talk to almost on a daily basis. His name is Peter Fruller, and he tries to do things the same way we do. And so we talk a lot. And um, he had already hired one TOA staff member, and he was pretty happy uh, with her. And so we were talking, talking, talking about, you know, we have similar issues and frustrations because we're in the same industry. He said, hey, why don't you talk to Cameron Forrester? And so he put me in touch with Cameron. We had a couple of video calls with him and Mark, who's my practice manager and uh, who I talked about earlier. So after after talking to Cameron a few times, we had had a couple of video calls, which are just very positive, And he listened to us. And um, I'm sure he's heard us. I'm sure he's heard the things that we say from a bunch of other accountants. But I, I just got off the call. and I'm like, I, I'm doing this. I mean, I felt like it was low risk in the sense of if for some reason it didn't work, um, we would be okay. But I wasn't going into it thinking, well, if it doesn't work, I can get out. I was thinking we are absolutely going to make it work. It's, you know, it's, it's going to happen. So I pulled the trigger, we started recruiting and, um, and, and away we went as fast as we could go. <laughs> so, so what, which is fantastic and it's been great that you've been able to get the team up and running. So what was the main decision around um, putting on the four staff? What, what was the thought process around these are the roles that we need offshore um, or was it more, I suppose, random and you just did it? Uh, it wasn't random. At least I'd like to think it wasn't. Um, although we've, you know, we've kind of just thought, oh, let's add more and more and more. And then we thought, uh, oh, wait, you know, let's let's get the people we have up to speed because we like what's happening so much. But really, the idea was to extend the CPAs that we have now. So I mentioned we have four CPAs, three of the, you know, including me. So three of those CPAs are are the client leads for most of our clients. And and they need a lot more capacity. So the idea was to start to build a staff underneath underneath each of those CPAs. In my firm, we work on teams. So for example, we use the Colorado Ski Resort names because we couldn't think of anything better. So we have Team Vale, Team Telluride, Team Aspen. And so a client engages with a team and on that team is a lead CPA. So our idea long-term was to build a TOA staff underneath, underneath each lead CPA so that we don't need to keep hiring CPAs, but we can replicate everything that the CPA is doing overseas with the staff. So that's how we ended up hiring uh, one support person for each CPA and then a bookkeeper. That's how we got to four so far. Yeah, cool. Love the names. I, I'm advocate for the snow. I'm massive, passionate about snow. So oh. <laughs> those names <laughs> resonate with me. So, so Luke, for someone looking to set up an offshore team and you're new to this journey, what advice would you give them to move as quickly as possible? What would be the most critical things that you would spend your time doing? Yeah, I've, and I'm glad you asked that. I, I've actually had this conversation with a number of CPAs and, and all of them, I, I can't think of a single one who isn't very interested in the idea and thinks it's a great idea and they want to do it and they want to do it the way we're doing it and that sort of thing. And they ask, well, what do I need to do? And and part of it is I, there's a misconception on, you know, that you can just flip a switch. Well, we say clarify for yourself what you want the team to do. I mean, you can have a team, but what is it that you want the team to do? Do you want them to just be low-level bookkeepers? Do you, you know, what's the firm philosophy? If if the CPA or owner wants to be the CPA that everything goes through, then how will they delegate to staff? Um, so once they've clarified what they want their outsourced team to do, then they need to figure out how they're going to reorganize the onshore team to work with the offshore team. It has to be something intentional. It's not It's not like if your onshore team continues business as usual and just hopes that they can shuffle work overseas, it doesn't really work that way. You can't just pretend like they're not there. 
how, how do you make them part of the team? What changes onshore? You know, how do you delegate that work? And then finally, you got to upgrade your technology. You can't have tech issues holding you back. I, 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 we've really embraced from the very beginning um, every bit of technology we can. We do everything online. Um, in this process, we got our own server, which was something new for us. We didn't need it before because everything was online. But we wanted to use, we wanted to make it so that the TOA staff could log in and have the same profile that we have, and so that there's no difference between their technology and ours. Um, so clarity of what you want the team to do, clarity about how the onshore team is going to work with the offshore team, and then upgrading technology. Those those are the three things I would focus on. Yeah, great advice. I couldn't agree more with those. So look, you're only obviously early in the journey, but if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value that your offshore team is providing, what would it be? For me, the the, the big initial value was was hope. Uh, I was starting to lose hope that I could scale the business. Uh, you know, initially I thought I, I, I just need to get more clients, and I realized it's not a lack of clients; it's a lack of qualified staff and a system and a process to feed those clients into so they get consistent service. So it gave me hope that we can scale the business the way we intended to. And, and I have a vision for how we're going to do that. And the onshore and the offshore team really uh, completes that vision and, and we'll just have more fun. Uh, so hope, you know, having fun. And the other thing, the big thing that it gives us too is stability. Um, we had so much instability as I described earlier with, with staff, with clients, I mean, I had to go through about six CPAs to get just one CPA that really fit the mold. Well, that's rough. I mean, it's rough on the team. It's rough on those people who are coming and going, and it's rough on the clients. Now we have stability. Um, we can stabilize the client deliverable so that if a key person leaves, they're not the key person. You know, yes, we have to replace them, but the work can still continue and the client can still get serviced the way they should. So hope and stability are the things that, that the offshore team has brought to me so far. Yeah, and I love that stability piece, and and it's always been something that I've been so uh, I suppose a big advocate for in business is is having a client that is dealing with a firm as opposed to an individual. But mm-hmm. a lot of small businesses can't do that when they only have a small team. But the bigger team you have, which obviously you have now, if one of your local CPAs was to go, you've still got the team behind it doing the work, and vice versa. If one of your offshore team leave, then you've still got the front person and some of the other teams still producing the work. Exactly, and it's, and it's very unlikely that both would leave at the same time. And, and, I, and I thought about that a lot as a small business because I thought, you know, like, like I mentioned before, I love the, the folks on my onshore team. I mean, I don't want them to ever leave. I treat them very, very well, and we want to do the same with our offshore team. But if one of I, I don't want to be have my back against the wall either where – um, I'm beholden to certain people where I can't afford for them to leave and um, that we can get into an ultimatum situation, which I can't really imagine happening. But I don't want to create any sort of dysfunctional system like that where the whole business is so dependent on me or on a few specific key people. And we're going to have some dependency, but but with a bigger team and an offshore team, there's more stability locally and internationally. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, Luke, what are the perceptions of offshoring that you've heard? So, what are the main things that you've heard and what surprised you the most with um, the offshore journey so far? You know, most of the perceptions, uh, either mine or people that I've talked to, I have yet to run across someone who has a negative perception of offshoring. I think um, there's there's misconceptions, but um, 
most of the perceptions are positive. I think they see companies who are doing that as modern and um, kind of the wave of the future. They just don't see how they can get from here to there. Um, but larger companies with more resources, you know, they don't think smaller companies offshore. Um, so I, I, I think the, the biggest uh, misconception that I see is that they think that it's just data entry clerks that they're going to hire, that that's all that you can offshore. Um, that you can just have a low-level staff accounting team who just does transaction entry. When we tell people, like when we even just when I first went to your website and you had that section on it that said, what can you offshore? Anything and everything. And I thought, yeah, that, I've always thought that, but I, had, I hadn't heard anybody else say that. And I believe that too, that it, anything that you want to offshore, it's if something's not being done right overseas it's just a it's a, just a training issue you can train people to do anything just like you can train people here to do anything as, as long as they want to be trained so i think that's the biggest mis misconception about offshoring is just the level of work that can be done yeah i couldn't agree more so the year ahead what's your plan with your offshore team obviously you're you've, you've got your team up and running now um, how do you plan to keep growing your team um, their capability and ultimately their performance well uh, we went into it in a very organized way so one of my best cpas uh, savannah bunker was tasked with developing a training plan and making sure that all of our cpas work with their team member the same way because we didn't want you know team telluride to have a different training program or path or timeline than team vale or team aspen so they have a weekly meeting just the three main cpas to make sure that they're doing things the same way we we realized that the the toa team our offshore team would not have much in the way of u.s income tax training and uh, you know, honestly, one, that comes as no surprise, but two, I have yet to hire anybody in the U.S. who has much in the way of U.S. income tax ex expertise. So that was nothing different than anything here. So we went out and found some training that we put them through. So we, we bought extensive training. We allocated time to tax training since we're so tax centric. And so we put together a whole schedule of the first you know, first week, the first two weeks, the first six weeks, because I, I was it was very important to me that that we're systematic about what we're doing so that we can do it even better later and scale it, that we're not letting weeks slip by and not really aware of what's going on or not making the most of the time, but that we're pushing, pushing, pushing uh, to make sure that the training is happening and that we're really ramping up the team. And when, in terms of the year ahead, I mean, I'm looking at it as a one, to, I'm being realistic. I mean, like I said before, it's not like we flip a switch and magically we have a team doing all kinds of work for us. I'm looking at it as a one to two year process, but I think we can get 80% of the way, way there the first year by systematically doing the tax training. And then as we do the income tax training and they ease out of that, then we start to have them do some of the tasks that the CPAs are doing. Um, so whether it be tax planning, answering basic client emails, um, just some of the regular communication that we have to do, tax preparation, uh, we start to ease them into those things, not throwing it to them all at once, but, but getting them solid on one task before we move them to another. Uh, we purchased QuickBooks online training videos, um, you know, because we use that software all the time, although we found that they picked that up so quick, we we probably didn't need that whole training program. But really what we're trying to do in the first 12 months is make it so a, a large part of the work, the body of work that the CPAs are doing today that keeps them busy all day long. Those emails, those requests, those, those deliverables are all being done offshore. And we want to free up the CPAs time 
to do some of the things that only they can do onshore. You know, some of the client communication, this, the, the high-end tax planning. Um, but most of what they're doing today, we want to move to the offshore team when we realize that's a training process. So that's that's really the, the vision for the first 12 months. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, Luke, I have a question for you. So you've set up this team when the um, during what is the traditional busy period of the year, and you seem to be very structured in the way that you've been able to do it, and it's very prescribed, which is why it's working so well. What was the thought pattern around doing it in what is could be perceived as one of the busier parts of the year? <laughs> well, it, <laughs> it wasn't ideal, you know, it, but we we just said it, it is what it is. I mean, we started the recruiting process and um, went through a couple of candidates and finally made an offer to one who we really liked and it worked out. It's just really the way it worked out. And yeah. I, I realized that there's the, the truth is there's ne there's never a great time to start. At some point, you just have to decide what the priority is and get started. And I was just committed to making it work. So, yes, if we have a busier couple months, then oh, well. We can handle that. And mostly if we're bringing them in during a busy time and, and they're spending about half their day in training anyway, it's okay. Um, it's not like we're expecting them day one to do a tremendous amount of work. Now that's changing over time, but um, we wanted to get to the next tax season and have really made a lot of progress. It'd be so easy um, to just to wait till May or June. I know now it's summertime. I don't want to hire people now and deal with it. I'll do it in the fall. Oh, oh you know, surprise, the fall's busy. Now I don't have time to do it. So, you know, I'm just the type of person that's like, we're going to do this and we're going to do it right now. And this is our future. So we just decided to do it. Yeah, I love your attitude. So some recommendations for our listeners on some of the top things that you would do in managing an offshore team. What would what would be the top three things that you would recommend they do um, in managing a, a team? I think the number one thing that takes the stress out of the process and sets realistic expectations is to have a training plan. Um, I mean, so many companies, especially small to medium-sized companies, even hire even onshore people with no real training plan, and they just kind of throw work at them and just see if, you know, it's like sink or swim. Well, that's not really fair or realistic. And if it takes a superstar to make it in the company, good luck finding a big team of superstars. You, know, you can't scale a business that way. So I'd say the number one thing is you got to have a training plan. It's, you know, first three months, six months, it's going to take time for them to learn about U.S. income tax, learn the personalities of the onshore team, the systems and processes that they're going to be working on. It's going to take time. So we, we, literally scheduled it out. I mean, here's what we want to happen each week and we can break it down to the day. And it's not anything amazing. It's just what what should realistically they be able to get done each week and each day. So if there's a training plan, it clarifies expectations for them and it gives you something to start with. And you can always adjust it later. Uh, number two, it's a you got to put someone in charge of that plan. I mean, it needs to be clear for the offshore team who they report to, where they go for help, there needs to be at least two times a day check-ins for a while, which which are fun. I mean, these are not negative things. I mean, it's fun to check in with people and see how they're doing and make sure they're not um, just stuck on something that they don't be stuck on. But it needs to be clear who's driving that plan forward. If it's just here's a plan and they're supposed to drive it forward, well, that's not going to work for onshore people either. So you know, let's make it realistic. Um, and then. I, you know, big thing is push the plan. I, I've said before, you can't just let weeks drift by. And and we have this conversation in my, we had it, we had it today where it's like, you know, hey, we talked about this a week ago. 
um, it's been a whole week. What did we get done in the last week? week? Weeks are too valuable. We can't let a week drift by with nothing really happening or changing. Um, so someone's got to push that plan and have a sense of urgency. It doesn't have to be a frantic sense of urgency, but a sense of urgency that, hey, we want to get from point A to point B, and we, and we need to work this plan and make sure it's working and make sure that it's realistic for the, for the on, offshore team too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's great advice. I mean, the the reason that it's working so well, so quick for you is because of the structures that you're putting around it. And I'd certainly recommend for any of our listeners that are um, considering this journey to, to definitely follow um, the advice, particularly around the training plans. Um, we, we just see too many accounting firms um, not even have this in place for their local teams, let alone when they're starting to build a global team. And, and it works so much better when you do, like you're saying, Luke. Mm-hmm. So Luke, tell us a little bit about metrics or KPIs. What KPIs do you measure for the success of um, your offshore team? Is it different to your local team um, or is it the same metrics? Well, we, we seem to be in a constant state of change. And so the, the KPIs that we're measuring, I mean, I think in a couple of years, we'll have a beautiful dashboard. We're measuring everything perfectly. Um, right now, what we're doing with the team is we're just measuring their progress through the tax training. And, and I bet there's probably some people out there who want to know what tax training we found it's this thing called the income tax school and um, so they can look it up online i think it's just incometaxschool.com that's what we put our team through and so they have a little dashboard we can see how far they've gone in each module and what tests they've taken and what their scores are so initially the first three or four months is just measuring their progress on that and then slowly easing them into tax planning concepts. I mean, one of our CPAs who's running this process came over real excited a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, um, you know, Grace just did a full tax plan and I didn't have to change anything on it. And that was a big milestone for us. Um, so it, it's not a KPI that everything has to be an A+, but just see how, what, what their progress is on picking up the work that we give them to do. And we understand and recognize and realize that we're going to have some people who pick it up faster and some people who take a little longer, and that's okay, because if it's just an extra six months someone needs before they're right, right where we need them to be, that's okay. I mean, people are different, but we got to make sure that they're moving forward. And so a lot of it is um, is just verbal conversations that we have with each other and that weekly check-in with the CPA to see how the progress is happening and make sure that it's working. You know, we, we also are going to look to see what, what capacity uh, – what increased capacity does do the CPAs have um, as they uh, as they track their time per task and just look at their their work balance? Do they have extra time in their day? They should. I mean, they should start to feel as time goes on that that they have a lot of extra time. So that's initially where we're at. Uh, we, I don't have a lot of KPIs beyond that, but that's where we've started. It's a great start. So how has offshoring benefited your clients so far? I mean, it's obviously only new to the journey, but how is it initially benefiting your clients? Well, some of the intangible benefits that they may not even realize yet is just the stability. And when they're working with a stable CPA firm where people are in and out and all over the place, um, they're going to benefit from that because the quality of the service that we can provide when we have the same staff with us year after year and they have a, a nice team behind them who's working hard, is going to be 
is going to greatly exceed any large regional firm that they can go to where they just get thrown to some staff accountant and they're working with a new person every year or every other year. So they're going to, as we're, if we're a stable company, we're going to be able to focus on the quality of our work instead of focusing on running the business, you know, as, as a group of people. So it's also, I mean, I, I think just having an onshore team that can focus on what they're best at instead of having highly trained CPAs doing administrative work and printing tax returns and, and not, you know, nonsense like that, you know, have the best, have the people doing the right tasks so that they can really do it well. Otherwise, they're so busy with admin and just random day-to-day stuff that they don't have time for any sort of deep tax research or to, or to provide tax coaching. So it also increases our capacity so that we can really guarantee they will fulfill the service level that the client signed up for. And that's some of the issue we were running into before. We were signing up clients to a service level because uh, we have several different service levels and then we were really struggling to manage it. Um, and, and, you know, part of it was the clients too coming in with the wrong expectations, but, uh, it makes it so that when we have increased capacity, we can guarantee that we'll fulfill the service level they signed up for. So that, I, I think that's the benefits they're going to get from it. Excellent. Now you are new to the journey, so this question may or may not be relevant, but how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Um, has it given you more work-life balance? Well, work-life balance is something I've, I've insisted on from the very beginning. I, I, I just absolutely insist on having it. I am not going to work 80 hours a week. I've got, I've got four young kids. I, I, you know, I, I will have work-life balance, and I'm willing to sacrifice part of the business to have that. So that's something I've always had. Um, but what it has allowed me to do is focus on the parts of the business that I like the most and do the things that I'm best at. I was spending so much of my time before on staffing details and is this person going to last? Is that person going to stay with us? Should we start recruiting for another person? This is all, you know, US team is what I'm talking about. And, and it was just draining. It's draining to not know who you're going to work with. It was just too much time. And now I, I feel like I was spending so much of my time on that. Now I'm not spending any of my time on that. We we know who we have in the U.S. We know who we have overseas. We got the right people working on it. I think our local team is very excited by working with the team overseas. And so it's allowed me to move completely away from the staffing conversation unless we talk about adding staff overseas and, and to, to work on other parts of the business that I like and that I'm better at. So Luke, before we started the podcast today, you spoke a little bit around how you've always set up your business um, by design. You spend the summer um, in a different location to where you normal um, normally are in, in the other seasons. Do you want to tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about why you set it up by design um, or the, the way that you have and then how, you, how has your global team helped or, or aided that to be able to become a, more of a long-term reality? Sure. I, I set up my business so that I could work from anywhere. And now I don't I don't want to give the impression that I'm all over the place all the time because for a number of years I really was um, stuck in the office as I tried to get a client base because I started with no clients. Uh, but I wanted it, our business to be online, to work with clients virtually, to be able to work with clients all over the country and and to really rely on video technology and just the best apps out there You know that we're all aware of. Um, I would not take clients. Now, I've made exceptions to this, and it's been, been a mistake you know, that I've learned from, but I don't take clients who won't work with us that way. So if we have a client who insists on, on meeting with me face-to-face, you know, won't close a deal without a face-to-face meeting, I just, I just won't work with them. And it's not 
trying to be militant with clients. It's just saying, this is the system we have. You'll actually get better service from us than you will from the CPA next door. And they have to be comfortable with working with us virtually. Doesn't mean they can't get personalized service. They can still see us, they can talk to us, um, but they gotta do it online. I want it, that's the lifestyle I wanted. And that's why I started the business that way. And I, I wanted to spend time with my kids. Um, I like working and so I wanna work too, but I wanna work on my terms. And so I've just been very insistent on having an onshore team that supports that because I want the same thing for them and having a client base that is not only comfortable with that, but sees how much they benefit from that. Um, I think the second part of your question was, how does the offshore team fit in there? Yeah, how does the offshore team, I suppose, with the business that you're trying to design it how you are, how's the, the global team that you're now building um, aid you to be able to continue with that vision and business by design? Well, it, it felt like such a natural fit uh, because, like I said, we've since we do everything online now, I mean, we're, we're sitting there on video calls with our offshore team and they might as well be next door. I mean, just with the speed of Internet and the way technology works. So it, it just when I thought about it, I thought it's such a natural fit to what we're already doing. And it takes us one step further to where as my local team, you know, people move, people have job transfers or have to, um, you know, we have a couple CPAs who are military wives, their husbands get transferred to various places. We don't have to lose that team because we have a global team. So if they're in a different part of the country, that's certainly okay. Cause we have, you know, we have staff completely overseas. Um, it, it's just fun. It just fits with what we want to do. It's fun to have an offshore team. It makes us feel like, um, you know, like we're doing things that other companies in the U.S. aren't. And, and my perception is, and you can tell me if this is true or not, that that the U.S. firms need to catch up with what's happening overseas because I just don't know very many U.S. firms doing this. It felt like a completely unblazed trail. Nobody told me, you know. And, and so, and when we met you guys, we thought. Hey, there's people all over the world doing this. Why aren't people here doing? It? We haven't heard about this. So yeah, it is. It's a common thing that America is um, in a lot of this, I suppose, cloud technology space, and and particularly with offshoring, probably three to four years behind um, New Zealand and Australia seem to be the early adopters with this. And we are seeing the early adoption phase um, starting to get into and and explore the offshoring, um, but uh -huh. it is still really a small percentage of the market, um, and you're probably a couple of years at least ahead of when it will start to become more and more common um, to be discussed at events and conferences that are run um, in the accounting space because that's typically what we saw in Australia. Um, it went from, you know, no one in the room was doing it to, you know, three, four years later. Now, if you ask a, an audience of 500,000 accountants, how many of you are offshoring and pretty much every hand will go up now um, to four years ago, it was um, basically no hands or, you know, you might have one hand half up because they didn't want to really you know, proudly say that they were doing it. Um, so yeah, we certainly see that that trend will change in America, but the early adopt, what I call the early adopters uh, like yourself are, are in there and, and are getting those three to four years up and running before the others even start to consider it, which just gives such an advantage from a business efficiency and capacity point of view. Well, and, and I hope that, that, that firms pick up the pace because a lot of accountants here are, are overworked, they're unhappy, um, they, the business, they, they like the money they're making, but they just don't, they can't scale and they're maxing themselves out and it's bad for your health and it's just not a fun way to work. So, uh, but it's amazing. I, you know, I go to conferences or, or you know, read some of the trade publications and I still have people, 
you know, there's still a lot just saying, oh, you need to move online and go to use cloud-based technology. And I think, are we still talking about that? That seems like something from eight years ago. Has, yeah. Who hasn't done that? You know, but I guess there's people who haven't. I, I don't say that to be critical. It just surprises me. Yeah, no, I agree. So look, let's talk a little bit about, um, I suppose, the effect that does have on the firm. And it's, it's probably way too early to be able to answer this, but has offshoring had a positive effect on your average hourly rate or, and all the profits of the firm? Well, uh, you know, we measure it client by client, but we look at it at a high level and we look at what's the overall profit mar margin that the firm should have. And we've realized we need to get our profit margin up because we're, we're spending so much on salary and so much on temporary salary, you know, employees in the U.S. who are here for nine months or don't work out or something like that is just a total waste of money um, that, that we should be able to push a lot more revenue through the company while maintaining our existing overhead structure. So we don't really look at almost anything by an hourly rate. I mean, we might break down a client and say, well, okay, what's our dollar per hour in that client for the year? But and we have some targets within there, but we don't charge by the hour. And so I don't really look at that a whole lot. I more look at how profitable is the firm overall. And we really believe, you know, we've invested in four people. We're certainly going to hire more, but we believe that we could double the amount of, of client revenue in the existing structure that we have. So our costs are now fixed and all the new revenue that we push through is just going to be profit. Um, and we're already profitable, but I, I think that we can be significantly more. So I, that's the high level I'm looking at it. And I haven't seen like, oh, dollar per hour on this client, it's been higher because I just don't have the time to measure it that way. I don't measure it that way. I don't, so. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So we're going to go on to um, a different tack now with some questions. So what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business point of view? I would have, you know, I, I probably would have started my firm sooner if I could give myself advice. I was pretty unhappy in uh, corporate finance and accounting. I was successful, I guess you could say, but uh, I was bored. And um, boredom, you know, if you're bored in a job, you're not going to enjoy it and not going to do well. So I, I would have started my my firm sooner. And um, that basically, that's the business advice I would give myself. Like, go, go for it a little sooner. I, I, I was hesitant about it at first because I was young. Excellent. Now, what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a personal point of view? You know, I, I think I've spent, I've allowed myself to get too stressed out and, and always be on future mindset and to be too preoccupied with unsolved problems. And you know, you know how you can be in a situation where you're not mentally present because you're trying to solve problems uh, somewhere else, you know, while you play with your kids or do other things. I've done that too much. And that's why I've I think I've realized now there's any problem I have with business or otherwise, there's an answer to it and I'll find it. And I, and sitting around worrying and fretting about it is not going to help me. It's all it's going to do is have a negative effect on people around me as well as my health. So I'd say not getting preoccupied with, with problems, just working at them in a systematic way. Excellent. Now, what is the biggest myth or objection you've heard about having an offshore team? And is it true? Um, I, I think the biggest myth is is that um, that they're only going to be able to provide basic accounting support. Um, that, that's just the biggest, I think, myth that people have believed. And I, I know I touched on this a little bit earlier, but just when I talk about an offshore team to, to other CPAs here in the U.S., they say, so are they just doing your data entry or, you know, like, like that would be some huge win if someone could just do our data entry. I mean, QuickBooks almost does, doesn't quite do it for you, but it gets pretty darn close. 
um, they don't even think that someone could accurately do a tax return or, you know, tax planning or, or strategic tax planning. Um, you know, and I think it's because we get these random emails from India that say, oh, you know, for, you know, $2 an hour, and I'm just making things up here, but $2 an hour, you can just send your work to us and it's high quality. And, and so there's that perception that it's just a low level team that you have instead of a really highly trained high level team. I mean, three of our four people are CPAs. Um, you know, these are not people who just just got an accounting degree and are, you know, want to work for a U.S. firm. They have significant experience. So um, the, the other one I would add, and I know, I know you asked for one, but it's just the myth that you can like, oh, let me just give it a try. Let me just hire someone, throw them to work and, you know, quote unquote, see how they do. Well, that's not going to work for an offshore team any more than it works for an onshore team. You can't just see how someone does. You have to have a training plan as I went into before. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. So for someone looking to grow their business or their team, what would what's the best piece of advice that you've heard and that you've implemented that you could pass on? The best, the, the thing that's worked best for me just overall with the business, I think in life in general, but certainly with the business is I put myself in a position to receive good advice and then I take that advice. I mean, like I, I, I hired a marketing firm when I started my company. I did absolutely everything they told me to do. I didn't resist it or question it. I spent money where they tell me to spend. I do what they tell me to do and I get leads. And, and, I, and I'm still working with the company to this day. Same thing with an offshore team in on all various areas of the business. Get advice and then take it. You know, Don't just go to conferences or listen to podcasts like this and not do anything. If it's a problem you're really interested in solving, do something about it. Take the advice. Couldn't agree more. Implement, the, you know, without implementing, nothing changes. And and it surprised me that people want to change their worlds and their businesses, but yet they do nothing different to what they're doing today and they're expecting different results. So great piece of advice there. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's irrational, and we we all do it. I do it too, and you know I don't, I'm not trying to beat people up. We we all want to change and then don't change, but yeah, you know, it's the sort of thing where um, it, I I just don't want this, the issues that we have now to be the same issues five years from now. And and I find it more fun and more relaxing and just everything to take action on issues rather than wallow in them and complain about them. I don't want to do that. I want to move forward. So I encourage people to do the same thing. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So we're going to finish off with a quick five in five. Okay. So what cloud software do you use? We use QuickBooks Online, and we we have hundreds of clients in QuickBooks Online. We love Excellent. it. Excellent. What's your favorite app? Um, I well, QuickBooks Online is one of my favorite apps. I really like Bill.com. It just saves me a ton of time. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of apps we use. You know, HubDoc, LivePlan. You know, some of those, but. Uh, Bill.com's great. It's, it works really well. Saved me a lot of time personally. Excellent. And what is your must read each week? So if I break it down to the week, I read the Bible and I read NBA news. Now, so for people don't know, who don't know what the NBA is, National Basketball Association, I'm a huge basketball fan. I have season basketball tickets. And so if I'm being honest, <laughs> that's, what I, that's my <laughs> must read in a given week. I mean, I'd love to say, oh, yeah, I read this. Now, I, I like the Journal of Accountancy, things like that. But I read the Bible. I read NBA news on my phone almost every day. <laughs> um, I, also, I also like reading biographies. So that's, you know, there's my, my your list. Yeah. Excellent. So your favorite social media channel? I mean, I don't follow a lot of social channels. I, I've got five or four four social kids and a wife, and so I'm so I'm so busy with that. I just don't I don't have time to sit and listen to things. 
things. That's not but, a bad uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Favorite KPI? Um, people will roll their eyes. I may have a whole undergrad and grad degree in finance, but I'm going to go with the basic one, and it's profit margin. I mean, to me, it just shows, are we effectively investing the resources we have and, and being efficient with, with the revenue that's coming to the firm? Is it generating a profit? And then if it is, that creates opportunity, not just for me, but for the employee, for the employees and the people whose career I really care about. Couldn't agree more. It is a basic one, but it's one that a lot of people forget often. So Yeah, it's so a we'll basic put, one. Yeah. Luke, thank you so much for the insights that you've given all of our listeners today. We'll put your contact details in the show notes, but if any of our listeners wanted to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to contact you? Um, you can email me at luke at geencpa.com. So that's G-H-E-E-N-C-P-A.com. Um, we have you know multiple websites, but cpacoloradosprings.com is a good one. Um, usually, I you know I, if people really want to have a call with me, I send them a link to my calendar and they can click on that and schedule a call with me. Excellent. Really appreciate your time today and the valuable insights that you've given um, to all of our listeners. Sure. Thank you very much, Nick. I appreciate it. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.